This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 187, about Daredevil Season 3, Episode 2. Grutzi Defenders, and welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast as we cover Daredevil Season 3. We're on Episode 2, which is Episode 187 of Defenders TV Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host for this episode, Derek. Welcome back. Yes, uh, welcome back. Unfortunately, we still don't have Chris. He is still unavailable. He works long, long hours. Do you think he's stuck in the basement of some... uh orphanage somewhere maybe or it's a church no probably just a high-tech firm <laughs> chained to the desk methinks possibly possibly possibly, possibly. but yes. he'll be back very soon for one of our later episodes on the season we're hoping he's back for episode three uh, which will be out next week yes chris will be back for episode three uh, and of course Welcome back to fellow defenders. We're early into season three of Daredevil. Uh, remember, subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. You can head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and go to our subscribe section to join any good or evil podcast catcher of choice mm. uh, to listen to us. And of course, we are doing our normal spoiler-filled comment posts on our Facebook group. So head on over to Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, join the community, leave a comment, leave your point of view. And of course, we will uh, call that out on our feedback section at the end of each episode. Yeah, of course, normally we don't have feedback for the first and second episode just because uh, we get some of the episodes ahead of schedule, but it begins to ramp on up and we certainly got a good amount of feedback for Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. So we really are looking forward to all the comments coming in. You can send in your discussion points on any episode of Daredevil Season 3 also by email. Just send an email over to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or you can leave a voicemail if you want to actually join us orally on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes, head on over to our website, DefendersTVPodcast.com. Go to the right-hand tab on the side of the screen and leave up to 90 seconds of voicemail. Uh, and, of course, again, we will play that back uh, on uh, the podcast. So let us get into our spoiler-filled review. Just one thing I wanted to say uh, before we go into our spoiler-filled review. We are now on Spotify, finally. It took us about two years to get on Spotify. So if you listen to your music over on Spotify and want to start listening to our podcast over there, rather than having two apps, you can pop in there and just search Defenders TV Podcast and you'll see our podcast pop up there every time we release an episode as well. Excellent. Yeah. Spotify. Uh, that joins Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well mm -hmm. uh, for your podcasting pleasure, fellow defenders. Uh, but Derek, yes. Back to the episode details. Who directed this episode of Daredevil? And why did I say Gritzy at the start of this episode? Mm -hmm. Well, this episode was directed by Lucas Essen, a man who was born and raised in our current hometown, Basel, in Switzerland. And Gritzi is how uh, the Switzerlanders, or the Basileers, uh, greet each other. Yes, indeed. A bit like Gruscott in Austria right. uh, as well. Uh, so those kind of different uh, welcomes to uh, people that you know and people that you are there to welcome on board. So definitely, fellow defenders, it's a big Gritzi from me uh, again. Uh, yeah, born in Basel, Switzerland. He's known as a cinematographer for films such as The Lincoln Lawyer and Battle Los Angeles. That's right. Yes, yes. He's done uh, done some cinematography on some quite major films. Yeah, and he's also directed episodes of, of Black Sails, Shooter, Power, and recently worked on the sci-fi show Krypton, which is the history of the Kryptonians before their planet exploded. Uh, so kind of cool that he's been working on that as well. 
Excellent. Yeah, so he certainly knows his way around a comic book property. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Welcome aboard, Lucas. Uh, first episode of a Marvel show that you've directed. Hopefully we see some more of it in the future. Uh, the episode was written by Jim Dunn, most recently worked on a show called Hand of God for Amazon, uh, which stars Gareth Delahunt from Fear the Walking Dead. I know I have lots of Walking Dead friends uh, who listen into our podcast and are big fans of Gareth Delahunt um, and his work on Fear the Walking Dead. So check out Hand of God and see what, uh, what Jim Dunn did over there with that show and see what Garrett Delahunt did over there too, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, Jim Dunn was formerly a podcaster when he first started out going and setting up his career as a screenwriter over in Hollywood. Uh, himself and his writing partner moved from the Midwest. They were both restaurateurs and moved out to Hollywood and set up a podcast called Sam and Jim Go to Hollywood back in 2005. And it ran for about four years uh, up until 2008 uh, with just some irregular updates after that and closed out in 2014 was the last update where they just stated We've been hired for a show and we don't know whether we're going to be able to do this, this podcast anymore, uh, telling you the real behind the scenes secrets, but a quite successful little venture for the two of them uh, now that they have gone into Hollywood and wrote loads and loads of shows. Excellent stuff. Really, really good story there. Yeah. See, there you go. I do have some good stories. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. With Vanessa at the forefront of his thoughts, Wilson Fisk makes his deal with the FBI, giving them intel to take down a violent Albanian crime gang in New York. But in so doing, this new snitch of Rikers Island is in danger. Attacked in the prison gym, the FBI move to protect their source and begin preparations to move him to a safe house. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock, recovering from his injuries after protecting two New Yorkers from muggers, continues to push back against Sister Maggie, Father Lantham and the church. As he goes after the muggers from the previous evening, he promises to protect Hell's Kitchen in the name of Daredevil, no longer a servant of God. Elsewhere, Ellison at the New York Bulletin asks a reluctant Karen Page to investigate the police report of a mugging in Hell's Kitchen. After learning of a mass vigilante in black, she races to tell Foggy, firm in the belief that their good friend Matt Murdock is still alive. As Wilson Fisk has moved from Rikers to his new secure accommodation, the convoy is attacked by the Albanians, looking for blood. In the ensuing chaos, with all the FBI guards killed and the Albanians closing in on him, a sole surviving FBI agent with a precise aim and a deadly shot manages to save Wilson Fisk. Mm, a very precise aim on that FBI agent. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this Great is... scene, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah let's, let's get into our uh, first case note, case note number one, because it's probably one of my favourite lines in the episode, as, uh, as we hear Ray describe to District DA uh, why he needs Wilson Fisk out of prison with the line, tonight the town of New York is safer because of Wilson Fisk. Ooh, I love the response from the police chief afterwards who goes, now I want to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a really interesting turnaround. I mean, you know, Wilson Fisk has this monologue, really, as he's being um, transported uh, to this new safe accommodation after he has done this deal, uh, which makes New York safer. Um, you know, he's he's offering up the other gangs of New York and he started with the Albanians. And, you know, it, it's it's cost no loss of life. It's taken down some corrupt public officials and they have the accounts where they can follow the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but it's really interesting, you know, that he's doing this because of Vanessa. He wants to protect her. It's I'm only doing a deal with you so that I can save her. And uh, there's a great monologue as he's being transported, where he talks about love being the prison because you can never escape it once you've fallen in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that any prison, any secure accommodation for anyone determined enough, you know, you can escape from. So really, really nicely done. But I mean, coming back to it, ultimately, uh, the DA Blake Tower, who's back again, which is mm-hmm. really nice to see, is kind of there with, I think, the chief of police. Yeah. For New York. And yeah, that I think the chief of police probably does throw up in his mouth or something <laughs> after um getting this this spiel from Ray Nadim. And uh again, 
You know, you could listen to Rainer Dean talking to them, persuading them that Wilson Fisk needs to be taken out of Rikers Island and taken to a kind of a almost like a witness protection program yeah. type setting, yeah. uh, more secure accommodation, but ultimately out of prison. You could read this kind of either way, I think, with Rainer Dean. Mm-hmm. He's certainly advocating here for Wilson Fisk, which is really interesting. And he's certainly persuaded his boss that he should also continue to be the point of contact with Wilson Fisk. Um, Because after all the Albanians have been arrested in that swoop, it looks like this whole operation is going to get moved to two other FBI uh, agents. So, Rainer Deem is very good at persuading people, He's and he's certainly advocating for Wilson Fisk here. And again, it could all be above board, who knows? But it's it's really nice and juicy that you can read it both ways, I think. Yeah, I think there's just that moment early on when there's a suggestion that possibly Ray won't be the one that leads up this case, that possibly his boss is going to hand it off to two other agents uh, and has them in her office, that he kind of runs in and kind of swats them out of the way and goes, this is my deal. It's because of my relationship that I built up with Fisk. Nobody else got it from him in the past, which isn't necessarily true. This whole thing has come about, as as you mentioned, and as uh, Wilson Fisk mentions in his speech, the whole thing has come about is because somebody's putting pressure on Vanessa, because the FBI had been putting pressure on Vanessa. It had absolutely nothing to do with Ray's relationship at all. Um, Ray walked in and was told within a couple of seconds, I'm ready to do a deal. So what we don't see, the bits that we don't see and the bits that are in the corners and the pieces that we're trying to work out, is there something there with Ray? Is it possible that this is just Ray's ambition to get himself a good name in the FBI? Or has he done a deal with Fisk that would allow Fisk to get out of prison? Uh, was the attack on Fisk arranged, the one that was in the weights room where the guy comes up behind him? Fisk obviously knows him because he allows him to spot uh, while he's doing his weightlifting. And then the guy shivs him once and Fisk turns on him. And you're wondering, did Fisk set all this up so he can actually get him get his own way out of prison? The Albanians attack the van. He does look quite scared in the van. One moment that I really love, which shows Fisk's real strength as well, as he pulls his handcuffs out of the floor of the car. Those yeah, are supposed that, to, that was really good. Like they're, they're supposed to be there so that nobody can pull it out of the floor, but Fisk is able to do it, just showing his strength. So nice, nice little nod to his comic book um, power, I suppose. Uh, but De- yeah, definitely. And I mean, certainly, I think uh, Fisk is playing the angle. He's working this situation as well, not in terms of his feelings for Vanessa, but certainly he is making the most of the attack on him in the gym to kind of try and and get some kind of um, better position. And that is to get himself out of prison because it is that uh, what next step to freedom for him. And again, it comes back to that monologue that he talks about love being the ultimate prison. He says any determined man can um, escape prison as he's being driven by the FBI. Exactly out of prison to a kind of witness protection program. Yeah. So yeah. it's immediately changed his situation for the better. So I definitely think he's working uh, the situation there. And, you know, he is that target in these walls. He's really trying to get um, that aspect honed into the FBI so that he can get this release ultimately. So I really enjoyed um, seeing him play that angle basically Um, and again it is to what extent is Ray involved with that playing of the angle Mm -hmm. but I do think the attack by the Albanians was absolutely genuine I don't think that was necessarily set up by him right I I don't get that sense anyway but maybe he has maybe it is that well thought out and planned potentially so um, I I really enjoyed uh, that you just don't know with Fisk and as you say because he's eulogizing and uh, and giving one of his wonderful speeches in the back of a police van which he did back at the end of season one before he did the flip into becoming kingpin as opposed to Wilson Fisk that's what makes you think that he's got all of this situation under his control. Yeah, definitely. I love that moment as well that Ray talks about the lawyer again. He mentions Ben Donovan almost ruining the whole deal for Wilson Fisk because of this this huge book of rules and regulations that he's put together to do the deal with some Fisk. It's just, once again, you know if you've got Ben Donovan in your corner, he's going to protect you completely and totally as long as you pay his bills. 
Absolutely. <laughs> I, th- I think it was really nice as well uh, when Ray Nadim comes in and, and says to his boss, he goes, um, Fisk is my kill. I want to feed first on it. Like, mm-hmm. really, really good. Uh, but again, some more interesting kind of comments that can be looked at either way, where he goes, uh, you know, there was an unexpected and special relationship between Ray and Fisk, mm-hmm. between me and Wilson Fisk. Is that like a special relationship as in he pays you and you become solvent again? And, you know, are you actually in his employees again i really like that gray area with yeah. ray nadim uh, and even just knowing how good wilson fisk is at planning stuff out it's just nice to think that he is pulling levers twirling knobs and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. to to get himself into a better position to ultimately free himself from prison and custody in general. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that final scene as well, because as it stands in this episode, the end of episode two, we don't even know if Ray makes it to episode three at the moment. Um, Ray well, Nadine is, is in the true. front of the car. He's taken the blast of the explosion. We see the car is completely bulletproof because there is that fantastic moment as the Albanians start to approach the car and shoot six bullets into the window while Fisk is looking out at it and none of them penetrate. I love that moment that you see how so strong good. the car is. Like, yeah. you know, but, um, but before Wilson Fisk gets out of the car. He does call for Officer Nadim from the front seat, and you don't hear any response at all. So. No, you you just see him suspended, still uh, strapped into the seat mm-hmm. upside down. So, uh, yeah, Ray Nadim, maybe all this speculation from us is for naught, but um, yeah. I, I think he's just kind of being concussed and knocked out from from the blast that has upturned the car. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a great little scene seeing all the 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 gunfight outside from Wilson Fisk's point of view because mm-hmm. it is totally from his perspective. Um, you know, you, you see all the FBI officers being taken down and then gradually from the smoke, these other armed characters coming towards them. They're firing guns at the cart. It doesn't work. Next thing, they've got a rotary saw going. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they are getting taken out by this kind of lone gunman walking up. Um, and he is wearing an FBI kind of special agent outfit or, mm-hmm. or uh, body armor. He definitely looks like an official uh, member of the FBI, but he is very good with his gun, and he's also very good with knives as well. He certainly likes to uh, hit the mark, shall we say. <laughs> and we're going to leave our speculation right there on who that character is. We're going to call him Mysterious FBI Agent. Uh, we do know who he is, obviously, because the announcement was made before the show aired, but we know some of you don't like to be spoiled on these things. And if you're watching along, at this point, we don't know who the character is as per the show itself, right? So mysterious FBI agent, put a pin in that one. Hopefully when Chris comes back, we'll have a discussion about who that character could possibly be, right? Uh, but it is a cool, cool scene. It's just a, a moment of like a Wild West showdown. He's like this this guy coming out of the darkness just taken out everybody all around them you know? <laughs> yeah really cool I, I think as well there were two kind of fairly uh comedy moments as well that bookended this episode uh around wilson fisk being released from rikers island and that deal um the the, the first one or the one at the end of the the episode is, is really where you know the Albanians have been struggling to open up this car, and then Wilson Fisk just seems to kick open the door. Yeah, and it's like, did they just not check that the, the <laughs> it was unlocked, um, uh-huh. and they could have used the handle? It's like he taps it and it just falls off. Like. <laughs> I thought that was really or is it funny. just his strength again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was just really funny. Um, and the other one was definitely um the the comedy hands up moment at the start where the the FBI are rushing into the Albanians kind of the head guy's house and they go hands up to the maid who's carrying a tray of plates <laughs> and mugs and of course it smashes uh, in a fantastically kind of Laurel and Hardy-esque way uh, to, to the floor so I really like that I mean it was a bit silly but uh, yeah it was kind of bookended by two kind of silly notes really like but I, I 
Yeah, I thought it was really funny. That's good. That's good. I have a silly sense of humor. I like it. I like it. That's when they arrested uh, Mother Teresa at the start, isn't it? Which has to be the worst name for a crime boss and for the poor guy, <laughs> like going into meetings, going, and Mother Teresa, would you like to speak? You know, but he does have a tattoo over on her back on his back, so I suppose. Yeah, um, but let's leave that for there for this episode. We'll talk about Wilson Fisk again, I'm sure, next episode. And um, let's get on to case note number two. When you can't fulfill your calling, where does that leave you? We have Matt having this discussion again with Sister Maggie when he's returned from his first night out as a vigilante daredevil once again. Um, he has that this moment with her where he's saying that he's lost all faith in God because he can no longer be an instrument of God. The whole concept for him was, you know, that he thought he was a soldier of God. He thought he was receiving instructions from God in some way, some messages from God in some way to go out and do his will and his bidding. And now he realizes that's not what he's able to do anymore. And that's not what he's out there to do anymore. So he feels like he's lost everything. Yeah. I mean, I do like Sister Maggie's uh, sort of opener to to Matt Murdock where she goes, I've got a, a, a super power as well. I'm impervious to bad attitudes as he's <laughs> sort of giving out about God, the church, Jesus, uh, or you name it, it, it's in, it's, you know, it, it's been written down in the list of bad things yeah, that Matt Murdock has, really. But I think, again, it's another really good interaction between these two characters where mm -hmm. we hear Sister Maggie talks about, you know, the meandering path that she's had to go on as well, that she has lost her faith too. You know, she had to leave the order. Um, but she came back to it. This kind of winding route that she has taken with her own relationship with the church, with God, and she's kind of suggesting to to Matt Murdock here that maybe this is this moment where you are having that separation, but you will come back to him. And I I really like that. I mean, and certainly because I think for Sister Maggie, you kind of ask the question, well, what made you leave the order and, and you know there could be a few things here and mm -hmm. um, that would link to the, the comics and to daredevil in particular that that could be part of that and i i think that's a, a really nice intriguing element to their conversations it's a bit like with reina deem and wilson fisk you're trying to say what is the precise relationship going on here between these two characters and the thing is the dialogue and the the acting between these two characters in those scenes with just the two of them. I really enjoyed this conversation where she kind of says, you're not the only one that has these issues or has gone through these things for different reasons. Absolutely. Mm. But you're not the only one, you know, get off your bad attitude. <laughs> well, I know, yeah, but I do really like how Matt is teasing this stuff out. We see it in the flashback when uh, Matt's a kid. We, we hear from Father Lantern that he's a person that always likes to challenge what's going on in the status quo. He's someone that challenged when a, a sister had the audacity to try to explain to him what um, original sin is. And Matt just targeted her until he was kicked out of her <laughs> out of her office. You know, yeah. uh, you, you hear that back in the day. And you also hear a little bit of this with Sister Maggie as well, where he kind of goes to her. Well, if you felt that you couldn't do your calling as a nun, well, what would you do? Would you not lose faith in God completely? And she goes, well, I'd go off and find something else that I could do and could fulfill my life as well. And he goes, well, then it wasn't a true calling, was it? Kind of like a ha-ha, gotcha. You know, yeah, this yeah. Kind of, the lawyer in Matt is coming back out again, this thing of probing until his witness, this person, Sister Maggie, is giving up and doing the things and saying the things that he wants her to say, you know, at the really nice moments with it. And it also links into those flashbacks with the younger Daredevil as well, where, you know, Father Lantham says, you know, there is a difference between argumentation versus being argumentative. You know, it really shows that there is anger there. And again, with the original sin um, conversation, you know, you see where Matt Murdock ultimately followed that legal route um, with his career. Yeah. But it, it came from a place of being argumentative. I really like the moment as well where young Matt Murdock is twirling his, his stick and just... He knows that Sister Maggie can't pin these beatings of the older kids on him because, mm -hmm. as Father Lantham says, who's going to tell anyone, who's going to admit um, that they were beaten up by a blind kid? So, yeah, I, I really like these moments between these two characters and with Father Lantham. And, and certainly, I think, you know, the two of these characters really give as good as they get. You know, again, 
Daredevil, as you said, coming back at Sister Maggie saying, well, would you have given up being a nun? You know, it's a real nice touch that it's kind of like this incessant uh, argumentation between the two of them that they just won't give it up. Yeah. Um, I wonder where he got that from. Exactly. And I do wonder, are they saying something about how Matt has been treated by the people around him after his father died? Like his father wasn't great to him. Obviously, his father was a boxer and went into some uh, into some criminality, uh, as we heard, heard in the first season. Um, but when his father was killed, he was passed on to the orphanage. And it feels like from then on, he did have people that supported him. Father Lantham is probably as close to giving him a little bit of a way out at times by saying, you know, yeah. losing your sight was the worst thing that could possibly happen. But then he had Sister Maggie to deal with, and then he had Stick to deal with, people who don't respect him or at least don't treat him with kid gloves all the yeah, time, yeah. you know, because of what he's gone through. They, they treat him like anybody else, or they even push him further than they would with anybody else so that he doesn't fall into that trap of self-pity. Um, this is what Sister Maggie's trying to do to him in these discussions. She's trying to make sure that he's not just falling into this vat of self-pity. But he has that moment going, wouldn't you grieve if you lost the only ability that you knew you had? And she goes, yes. And he goes, well, then leave me alone. Let me grieve. And when I've done grieving, I'll then choose my path kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Really, really good. I think with that, on to case note number three. Karen gets a new story. Yes, poor old Mitchell Ellison is having to persuade Karen to take a story that she is going to look at and investigate. I think it's a real nice moment where he goes, it's one thing to run a story, it's another to let the story run you. Uh, and he's kind of referring to here her obsession with Midland Circle mm. um, and certainly trying to find what exactly happened and whether there's any trace of Matt still alive underneath all the rubble. So it, it's a really nice moment. It's great to see Mitch Ellison back as well. Yeah, uh, I really like um, this guy as the editor-in-chief of the New York Bulletin. I, I think, you know... It's that real nice familiarity of of a boss and his employee that get along. He knows what she's like. She knows what he's like. And ultimately, it comes to the point where he says, look, just run with this story. You know, uh, I've picked this because I thought you could do a good job on it. And reluctantly, Karen goes to look at this story involving um, the father and daughter that was saved by Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. And it is interesting, isn't it? There's a little dropped line from uh, Ellison about the fact that she has done many stories about Midland Circle. I'm kind of glad they had the drop line in there because... This kind of scene with Karen has been used quite a few times where she just ignores what the editor-in-chief of the newspaper is saying and wants to pursue <laughs> yeah. her own stories. Uh, but he does make the comment that the stories she's done about, about Midland Circle have been brilliant. They've been some of the best written stories. And he goes, and I'm actually jealous of the writing that you've done on them. They're really good, but you need to take a break from them, is what he's saying to her. Um so I'm glad they did have a little bit of a drop line in there. I do wish sometimes we'd get a moment with Karen writing a good story, which is a story given to her by the editor of the newspaper, the person that she works for, the person who's had, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in the business and should know the newspaper very well, as opposed to Karen just walking in one day and going, hmm, I'm now a newspaper reporter, <laughs> which is what it seemed like at times. But he is saying that she does do good work and he is very jealous of her writing. So at least we have a little bit of confirmation that she is a good newspaper reporter now, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I do like the way that Karen, when she goes to the hospital, so the 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 two people involved in that mugging uh, and who were saved by Daredevil mm -hmm. is uh, um, Mr. Kazemi, uh, and he's a wealthy realtor with um, his daughter Nida, uh, who really doesn't want anything to do with Karen. I like how she gets her to open up to to Karen to really let her in to tell the story. And I mean, ultimately, that story involves Karen hearing of this kind of masked vigilante in black and immediately her thoughts go to Daredevil. Mm -hmm. But I think just rewinding a bit on that, I really like the comparison that Karen does with uh, Nida, the girl who's in hospital waiting on her father to recover. And she doesn't want to talk to Karen because she sees Karen as the paparazzi, that the story will be made up anyway. And Karen kind of confirms this. She says, you know, if you don't speak to me, then... Or, another newspaper will simply run with some kind of lie. And 
through that, we get this uh, reveal and a bit of a backstory of Karen about her hometown, mm-hmm. a small town where they all believed that she killed her brother. And it wasn't true, but it snowballed into um, that lie, into that that myth of, of Karen. And she makes that connection between the paparazzi doing that in the middle of New York, making up stories that make no sense. And small town, close community, everyone knows everyone else, but they're not sure of all the facts and run with their own story in the head that then just snowballs out of control, leaving, you know, someone uh, to deal with having to really kind of take um, back the truth on, yeah. on that. And it feels like it's a long time since we've seen Karen do that type of delving and persuasion in order to uh, investigate and report on a story. But mm. I mean, ultimately, it does lead to a bigger thing here which is she now um believes that um matt murdoch is alive and i i kind of like to think that mitchell allison knew about this mass vigilante from the police report that came through on the wire or or whatever and that's why he put her on it i think it kind of would be a nice thing. Maybe, maybe. All I had in my head was possibly that he was sending Karen down there because she would be able to have this conversation with Nita, that she is someone that's gone through an experience in her past, and maybe she could be able to use that to persuade Nita to talk to uh, the newspaper, to talk to the bulletin. Um, what we kind of hear from from the description of the family, effectively, is that Mr. Kazemi is a very wealthy realtor, and his wife is on one of those TV shows, one of those uh, Housewives of New York-type TV shows. Uh, so she's very famous in her own right for reality tv he's very famous because he's really wealthy in the realty business and she's taking the brunt of it the daughter is taking the brunt of it as uh, uh, because of the reality star nature of what the paparazzi are following and she's had to deal with this all of her entire life and she's only gone out to dinner with the father to make up the relationship again and um, we hear that from her as well uh, i like that karen uses her backstory uses this story of that we haven't actually heard the details of at all yet. I remember back in season one, we were so desperate to get the story of Karen that we paused the screen on a newspaper article from her hometown describing a crash, in a, a car crash that possibly we were saying killed her brother. Uh, it was a very small article in a very small moment at the beginning of season one. And it was referred to by all the people around as if we as the audience should know the story of Karen, but they've never delved into it. So I'm really hoping that this moment is kicking off a backstory for Karen. Oh, me too. Where we see a bit of her family. We hear that this story by the newspaper tore her family apart and she ran away and went to New York because of that story, which we kind of sort of knew. We knew something in her past had driven her away, but I'm really hoping that we're finally going to get something from Deborah Ann Wall an actual backstory for her character because it's just gone on way too long now. We're four years of shows featuring Karen Page talking about something that happened in her past. I want to know what it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is a good enough start for me. So I really want to see how that uh, plays out uh, so that we get some real meaty backstory about Karen. I think that'd be really good. But talking of meat, and given that she has found out that a man in a black mask arrived... Where does she go to? She goes to the Nelson family butchers. Mm-hmm. Case note number four. Yes, I never knew this. Foggy has butcher lineage in him. We should have guessed this, though, because it's mentioned in Defenders and it's mentioned in Daredevil Season 2 when the relationship starts to break down between Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson. He says, well, I could always go back and be a butcher. That's what my parents always wanted me to be. And we just thought it was a bit of a throwaway gag. But it's not. The family are a family of butchers and his parents have been saying, can you come back and take over this bloody business and get away from those uh, upper class citizens of New York and get away from your law business? Um, It's really interesting to see them back uh, together and see that, that there is a real answer as to why uh, he's being told not to be a lawyer, to be a butcher, which is, seems like a strange career decision. There's even that moment with his mother, which is slightly confusing still to me, where <laughs> she turns around to him and says, stop using your big brain up there. Use your big brain back here. And I was going to do the butchery in in there or to do the accounts or the law firm side of it, because that won't help his dad out at all. Um, like I would un- understand if she was saying, come over and take on the business side of here we need your help. But she's telling him that the reason that she wants him back is because his father's getting too old to do the butchery. She's telling him to leave the law firm of Hogarth, Benowitz and Chow, or just Benowitz and Chow now, um, to come back and work in the butchers. 
Which is quite an interesting thing to, to push to Foggy Nelson, isn't it? Well, that's it, because I, I kind of thought um, that she was trying to persuade him to come back, obviously because his brother, it's too much for him. He's mm-hmm. good um, with the butchering and doing the cuts of meat. You know, he's a skilled butcher, but other aspects of the business, okay. he, you know, he can't really do. Plus then you see his dad and, you know, as I say... You really saw his hand shaking as he tries to pour um, the the red wine. And I was there going, oh, he's got Alzheimer's. But then it seemed to be that it was just that he was getting older. Or was it even the wine uh, and the drink because he was overindulging at this party and this this family reunion of, of the Nelsons? But certainly age is a factor for his dad here. um, And she wants to try and get him back to help out in some way with the family business. I thought it was a nice insight, again, into Foggy, I yeah. thought, here. It was really good to see him uh, with his brother. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, and again, Whiskey Watch here, um, that they're sharing a, a really nice bottle of Jameson's Irish whiskey, mm-hmm. um, green label Irish whiskey. I think it's either Special Reserve 18 Years or it is the Special Vintage Reserve so it was really nice. So that's the whiskey watch for this time. And I thought it was quite funny that, you know, his dad is sort of giving out to him for drinking this expensive red wine when he's got a really nice bottle of Irish whiskey there and triple distilled, smooth as a cucumber, you know, so really, really good. But I'm wondering, is that the gag for his dad where he's going, why are you buying this really expensive bottle of red wine when we have a really expensive bottle of whiskey from the home country that you can drink downstairs, you know? Is that the gag? It's the, I think it know, might be. Because um, he, he does give him a good jab for kind of bringing this bottle of wine to a old Irish dinner, effectively, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I hope that it is, to be honest, but uh, mm-hmm. it could just be a, a quirk of fate, uh, a quirk of the writing. But I, I really enjoyed this interaction with Foggy and his family and then seeing Karen come in and go, he's alive, <laughs> um, you know, I thought it was really, really nice um, for sure. And I think just the other point is that, you know, we gave a gritzy at the start of this episode, um, and there was a slancher in here as well, yes. um, which is kind of like cheers or good health in, in Irish. Exactly, exactly. So if you're out having a pint or if you're out having a little shot of whiskey, uh, always say slancher to your friends around you yeah. before uh, you take the drink, of course. And they won't know what you're saying. And <laughs> then you have a little story to tell them. Exactly. The other good one is bottoms up, of course, or down the hatch. Uh, they're the other good ones. But yes. But not Irish. Enough of cheers. And so on. I would love to know what how you pronounce that in Irish, actually. Slauncher. No, bottoms up. Slauncher. <laughs> That's how we pronounce uh, okay, it. Okay, <laughs> grand. Right. We don't do translations of, uh, of those types of terms, but I love this because back in uh, back in Iron Fist, I was talking about the fact that uh, we could do the episode synopsis in Irish one time for our audience if they wanted me to write it out in Irish for them using Google Translate, uh, and then. In these episodes, we're starting to get the Irish family all saying uh, slanted to each other. We see Irish flags all around uh, Foggy Nelson's house as well. So uh, so quite cool to see that. Yeah, it was kind of interesting in the butchers because they did have a good old string of sausages there, which definitely looked like good old Irish sausages. Mm-hmm. But certainly the kind of cured meats that looked like salamis, I was thinking, they don't look quite so Irish. They're well, more kind of Italian Delicatessen, still or, a, or still a New York like butchers. Remember, it's not. Well, a, that is not true. A, not butchers true. in Dublin, <laughs> so they will serve other stuff. But some um, black pudding or something Maybe. like that. You Maybe. could you could see that there, or white pudding. Right. <laughs> well, let's get away from all of the foods that we missed from mm. Ireland, John. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is that moment with Karen ta- telling Foggy that uh, that she thinks that Matt is back, and saying, "Wouldn't you want to know if your best friend is back?" And Foggy immediately dismissing it, saying he knows that that he's dead. He knows Matt is dead uh if if matt wasn't dead matt would have called him by now right yeah exactly would he have because we know he wouldn't have unfortunately (laughs) we know he said to sister maggie he's not going to disturb any of his friends at all let's get on to case number five matt makes the realization that he is daredevil kind of similar to that attitude or that idea in dc comics that superman is superman and clark kent is the mask Matt Murdock is making the realization that he's Daredevil and that the Matt Murdock side of his personality, the church going lawyer, is the cover for him when he's not out 
protecting the streets of uh, of New York or of Hell's Kitchen. We hear that he used to listen to people who were praying to God in the church and kind of pick up on what they were praying for and then go out and do it as daredevil, as the instrument of God. Um, but now realizes that God was never involved in that. That was all his choice, all of his ideas. Yeah, it's it's his abilities and he is the one that uses them. And so we get that moment where uh, I do kind of really like uh, the look of, of Father Lantern as as Matt Murdock. You know, he he recounts this about listening to um, the the prayers of others when he was a, a younger boy. Again, in a, in a flashback, and he goes, "I'm Daredevil. Not even God can stop that now." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Father Lantern is kind of like, "Oh my goodness, what have I unleashed?" Um, but he goes out to prove that now to himself in this moment where he goes to track down the, the attackers of the previous night uh, because of their dry cleaning. I must say, I really enjoyed this moment. I thought it was massively hipstery. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly, you know, uh, when he's sniffing the uh, laundry van, he says, uh, do you know of a place where it doesn't smell like this? It, it, not like chemicals, but more more organic. Um and he goes, you mean like grass? And he goes, yeah. And he, he points him to this new laundry. And then he goes in there where, uh, you know, they say, yeah, we've got a new process, a new technique. It does sound massively, um, on the edge of laundry fashion. Oh, um, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, it's very, very much that feeling that they're basically washing everybody's clothes in hemp, I guess. To make them cleaner or something <laughs> yeah. like that. But I suppose it's so that your clothes smell like a cut grass or something like that mm, i don't know yes uh, or you get high on them maybe it might be that type um, of grass, something yes. like that so <laughs> it, it, it but it was really good i mean he kind of gets dissed by the guy behind the counter because matt murdoch asks as he's kind of scoping out the joint he asks for a flyer and the guy behind the counter is kind of you know he's a bit of an ass really he goes um we haven't got one in braille but I do love Matt Murdock. Uh, he goes, I've got seeing friends. Yeah. A really, really good. But ultimately, yeah, he's scoping out the joint here um, to find out that it's the right place. It's connected to that laundry van that was involved in trying to kidnap Mr. Kazimi and his daughter, Nida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It is a little touch that I think was missing. It might have just come out of the edit on episode one. If you're going to have something as big as Matt shaking the hands of the attacker from the previous night and noticing that he's missing part of his middle finger, we probably should have seen that in episode one, shouldn't we? So that we know that that's what he's looking for when he goes into the dry cleaners, that he has something else, some other sense, not just a an impression of what this guy is, that he's chasing him down because he's looking for the guy that's missing a middle finger. You know, you want to just lay that out there that that's what Matt's looking for when he's doing this investigation, just to let the audience in on on what he's doing, basically. Um, But I like that Matt goes in the investigation. I like that it's not all radar senses this time. It is a bit more in detail that he's doing this kind of investigation because it is different. Yeah, and of course, this laundry is doing more than laundry. Um, It's got tasers, it's got guns, it's kind of got a cell down yeah. there. Uh, whether that was intended for Mr. Kazemi uh, and, and his daughter, who knows? Um, but certainly something is afoot down here. And I, I think the fight is really, really good. It's cool, um, isn't it? Again, just how he uses the environment, chucking stuff off the shelves into uh, his attackers. He uses a taser. I um, love that he tasers the first guy that he's yeah. fighting yeah i think that's a nice touch because it's not just a punch in the face to knock him out it's, it's straight off taser the guy as he comes down i love that he turns off the power to get them and attract them down to the room it's it's quite a good idea to get the two of them down you know definitely i think the style of fighting here and the choreography of it all is really really strong again um in in daredevil mm-hmm. and i i've, I've really enjoyed this kind of you know almost like a cage fight down and dirty in the basement of the laundry yep. um and ultimately yeah i like how it resolves both matt's um you know it confirms matt's view that you know i am daredevil god can't stop that yep. i'm going out to do this off my own back 
it is nothing to do with the faith, the belief that I thought God was involved in everything I'd done beforehand. And I think it's a really nice touch that, you know, uh, Mac goes back to the hospital where Nida is and, and tells the victim to go ID her muggers um, because they're down at one of the precincts in Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, she goes, thank God for you. And he goes, he didn't help you ideas you know really just to emphasize that point i thought that was really really good yeah yeah really important to mention it definitely um that he has now completely separated himself out and he's going out and and taking care of these things Uh, but as matt is leaving the hospital he's greeted by the arrival of the fbi agents uh, who have all been shot up by the uh by the albanians uh, as we talked about earlier on in the episode so he overhears a police officer on the phone going it's an absolute storm everything that's happened here the police have now let Wilson Fisk escape. He's been released from prison. And you're wondering, oh, what happened with that FBI agent with the uh, with the really good shot? Has Wilson Fisk talked him into helping him out? Um, have the police recovered Wilson Fisk at all? Is he being transferred into that safe house at all by a different car? Or has something else happened, which we I'm sure we'll see in the next episode. But certainly Matt's ears perked up completely at the idea that the person who was his greatest foe, is now back on the streets again. Yeah, well, it kind of shook him again, didn't it? Mm -hmm. And I thought it was, um, I thought that was really good because these two are the classic adversaries, um, you know, within the comics. And it's really good to see them in this series being those antagonists towards one another. You could see it in Matt Murdock's face at that moment that, he has to go and do something about it. He knows the danger that Wilson Fisk um, is to New York, to society, um, and probably to his friends. And so I really enjoyed that kind of meaningful moment as it sinks into Matt Murdock that Wilson Fisk uh, has been uh, released from prison or is out of prison, I should say. Yes, exactly, exactly. Let's see what happens with that on episode three. No major notes for this episode. Once again, just to mention that they do take a couple of panels directly from the Born Again uh, arc. The moments where Wilson Fisk is, is doing his weightlifting, uh, that's something that he does to relieve stress in the comic books. You see it quite a lot in uh, in Born Again where he's weight- lifting weights just to kind of relieve that stress as well. So uh, I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. One other note, because I checked it out and it's not actually a nod. I did think that we saw Kevin Smith's um Jersey in the uh, dry cleaners had to pause it a few times to check it, but the number on Kevin Smith's jersey is thirty-seven, and the number on this jersey was two. So definitely not, uh, unfortunately. That's a shame. That would have been a really cool reference. Yeah, I'm sure that he'd be talking about it on Fat Man and Batman for a long time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other notes for this episode, John? No, not for me. Well, let's get on to our final part of this episode, John. Do you defend season three, episode two of Daredevil? I really do defend uh, this episode of Daredevil. I give it four shivved lamb shanks and a black pudding out of five. (laughs) Uh, I really thought this was a strong continuation from the first episode, actually. Mm -hmm. It really felt like these could have just been stitched together and it would have worked really well uh, as a single episode. Uh, You know, if we look at it purely from that episode kind of uh perspective yeah ultimately if you watch it one after another straight after um watching episode one well then it kind of is really yeah uh, so i think that makes it really nice though because they maintain that tension maintain that pressure between this holy trinity of um characters uh, at the orphanage you uh-huh. know uh sister maggie I'm definitely going to call her Maggie Smith one of these days um, <laughs> with Father Lantham mm-hmm. and Matt Murdock as he increasingly divorces himself really from his upbringing uh, and his relationship with the church and with God. I also really enjoyed, you know, starting to peer into Foggy Nelson and Karen Page's history, mm-hmm. family, uh, and other reality other than with Matt Murdock. I think in particular with Karen Page, it's really important that we get to know why she came to New York when she did. She has the potential to, for a really interesting backstory here, and hopefully that begins to play out in season three. And certainly to see Foggy's family uh, at the butcher's really really nice uh, and i love the fact that they came together uh, in the f- front of his butcher's shop there uh, as his family are having a get together in some ways though it, it feels a little weird in that i'm kind of like going 
how come season two didn't focus so much on these two characters? It, this feels kind of more like a season two of Daredevil in terms of focusing more on these characters. Mm-hmm. I think because you had Elektra, because you had the Punisher, it was very much focused around those relationships with Matt Murdock and not his two closest friends of Karen Page and, and Foggy Nelson. So I'm really um enjoying this reconnection with these characters. Mm-hmm. And again, Wilson Fisk and uh, Raina Deem, like what's going on there? Who knows? I think it might be murky. I think it might be a little bit underhand. Um, and I think that Wilson Fisk ultimately may be one of the best strategists out there and evil guys in uh, the Marvel Netflix universe. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. <laughs> you know, the fighting's great. The action scenes are great. And of course, we get that tantalizing um, lone gunman as well at mm-hmm. the end, who certainly has a very good aim. So, yeah, really uh, do defend this episode. Really enjoyed this episode of Daredevil. And you know the next episode is just going to start with the funeral of Ray and Dean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just because we've been talking about it in this episode. But it just proves that we haven't watched ahead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Derek, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? A quick one for me. Yes, definitely defend it. It's nice to see this storyline continuing the way it is. I like that you take the character and you start to strip away the layers of Daredevil. You take away his connection to God. This is a really important connection for him, the things that has defined his life all the way through it. Um, I also like just a comment that after 10 episodes of Iron Fist, which we really, really enjoyed, which had a really different fighting style, I like that we have a very distinctive fighting style from Matt Murdock once again this boxing style that he has and that he's grown up learning. I love that we get to see that completely differently in the fights. They're much more scrappy. As you said, John, they're much more like cage fights, cage boxing matches, you know, and they should, they should stand completely separate from, uh, from Iron Fist, you know? So, uh, so nice to have that in there, in here as well, but really intrigued by the story, really excited to see, um, a couple of the newer characters and what's going to happen with them. And really excited to see if Wilson Fisk is out on the streets now. When we get back with our next episode. Once again, no feedback for this episode, as John mentioned earlier on. Our fellow defenders are hopefully watching the episodes and writing your feedback as we speak. Uh, if you want to send us in any feedback, just email us to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Pop over to our website at defenderstvpodcast.com and leave us a voicemail of up to 90 seconds of your thoughts. Or record an MP3 of your thoughts and email it to us at that email address. Uh, and we'll play it on the podcast and discuss it on future episodes. That's it, fellow defenders. Yes, we have options. Options for feedback, Mm -hmm. options for discussion points, options for comments. Of course, there is our Facebook group as well. Head on over there. Join us if you're not already a member uh, and you can interact with the community, with the group uh, on the spoiler-filled comment posts that we put down. So if you're not at that episode, of course, don't go into it. (laughs) Absolutely. Otherwise, you will get spoiled. But please head on over uh, and join the group over on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And of course... Please subscribe and join the podcast community of Defenders TV Podcast over at the podcast catcher of your choice. Yes, yes. We'll be back next week with our next review of Daredevil Season 3, Episode 3. Chris will be back for that one. Looking forward to him joining us. Thanks so much, fellow Defenders. Talk to you soon. Yes, when Chris is back, you know, we've got podcasting friends. Yes. Yes. Uh, Thank you, fellow Defenders, for listening. As always, it is a pleasure speaking with you. And we'll be back with you again soon. Bye.